American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of Bearded Bastards Radio right here on the American Hammers Network via American Hammers Radio. This is your host, Tex, joined by the one, the only, the Mohawk wearing, scene stealing, ranting given. One and only Liam Bride. How are you today? Um, fantastic. Other than uh, slowly recuperating the voice that uh, blew out after Wednesday night. So uh, for thir- <laughs> Thursday, Friday, and now Saturday, and I am, I'm, I'd say I'm about seventy five percent back to to normal speech patterns. But uh, for those listening today, you'll get the throaty, sensual, sultry version of Liam Bright on today's episode. Don't lie, you're trying to sound like me. We all know my voice sounds exactly like that. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> and apparently, with the painted nails and mohawk, I am approaching my midlife crisis. So mm, here we go. I, I wasn't going to mention the painted nails, but because you did, it's a beautiful. Cute touch. Thank very you, cute. Thank you. I feel like it's, uh, I'm very fashion forward, you know. <laughs> well, this is obviously a special late edition of American Hammers uh, Radio, The Bearded Bastards. Um, you know, we, we had a, a, some scheduling conflicts, but we made a promise. We did. And we got it done before the next Premier League match, which uh, will take place tomorrow. We're recording this on a Saturday. Um, but before we do anything, obviously, West Ham United did not have a game over the prior weekend. Um, that Newcastle game, I believe, will have to be rescheduled. I don't think they've announced when that game's going to be. No. But we know it'll probably be at the worst time for West Ham United <laughs> because that's what the Premier League scriptwriters do. Um, obviously that happened because the queen of England is, uh, no longer with us and has moved on. So a 10 day mourning period, which is an old traditional law in England has set that aside. Um, only thing worth mentioning there. She's a lifelong West Ham United fan, even though people can argue differently. We're going to say that she is. Um, So after that, West Ham United did, um, since the last time we spoke, they've had two Conference League matches. The first one is against the Romanian side, SCSB. Correct, correct. God dang. I mean, this is uh, when you get into the Europa Conference League, some of the team names are just odd. So SCSB out of Romania, a team that's struggling in their own domestic league. Um, West Ham United, again, fall down early. I mean, it's typical West Ham United, but then come back, dominate the game, get a beautiful 3-1 victory um, to start off group play 1-0. And then just of Thursday, just recently, a couple of days ago, West Ham United played again against, is it, is it pronounced Zuckerberg? So Zuckerberg? Zuckerman? I think, it, yeah, I think it's Zuckerberg. <laughs> and then I think there's twins involved. Nice. And the yeah. face. Oh, sorry. No, it's not the Facebook oh, thing. Oh, no. Yes. I think so- Sulkerberg. Sulkerberg. Who gives Sulkerberg. a shit? Yeah. Let's be honest. They're going to be out of this thing pretty quick. Uh, West Ham United, um, in the first five minutes, go down one nil. Not looking too good. West Ham um, finally get a foothold in game. They get a penalty call. Um, even the goalkeeper guessed the right way, but Lanzini slotted that right next to the post. Beautiful pin. I really do believe we we know who our penalty taker is. The problem is he struggles to start now with yeah. all the talent we have in the midfield. Then I, this is why you buy the player Skamaka. Um, Cornet, two of our summer signings, picks off a pass and then without even thinking, immediately throws it to Skamaka. Skamaka's decision-making is so fast, one turn and puts it up 
right underneath the bar towards the upper 90. It wasn't in the upper 90, but it was up and it's an immediate goal. And that's why you buy that player because he can make things happen on that whim. Uh, West Ham United did the West Ham United later. We got to see big Dawes finally back out there. And of course on a set piece, it, I love the commentators. Thank you. Mentioned it on our group thread. Um, they mentioned Dawes name. And Dawes scores a goal. It's it's great. They literally are like, oh, the target should be Craig Dawson. Is is he's he has knocked in quite a few goals. Oh, and Dawson scores. <laughs> like literally, it's like mid sentence has to change it to like, oh, and it's in the net. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something to be said about the one and only Craig Dawson, which I will rescind my red card since he did stay with us. So <laughs> it was a red card out of love. It, it was. was it was red because you love him. It was a heart shaped red card. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Silkeberg got back in the game in about the last 15, 20 minutes. They scored another goal. So West Ham only get a one goal victory there as it's finally three to two was the final. And I think coming out of these two conference league games, you know, we're going to get into the question of how serious we should take them. But beforehand, just immediate concerns are the defense looks a little leaky. Yeah. Um, and it's starting to get to a point, I think, for every West Ham United supporter, you've spent some money on that back line. Yeah. And you've also got a goalkeeper back there that you spent some money on, and you brought in another goalkeeper who is going to be arguably, you know, in line, probably not going to take it from Larice, but he will clearly be on the French national team, maybe even play some games in the World Cup because he's a very talented keeper. And both goalies are kind of making mistakes that doesn't really make you think we have a surefire number one right now. No, and it, I think it's it's tough because we've talked about this before where for my me personally, I, I think Fabianski has better distribution than Areola does. I think Areola is typically better with like the like a double save or something that is very like a, a more athletic save um you know the one that against uh was it leon in last year where like it was point blank and he gets one hand on it and literally like throws it back out of the net like it was it, it was going to be a goal let's let you know for all points and purposes so i think with with areola i don't think he covered himself in glory remember they did get that second goal that got chalked off for i don't know i tried re-watching the match i re-watched the highlights and it just it literally looks like Ariola runs into the defender and falls down. Like there's no push, there's no contact, but they chalked it off. So I'll take it. Cause why the <laughs> hell not? <coughs> Pardon me. But it was, um, I think it was kind of a shaky match for him. And then also for the defense, which was a little bit of makeshift, right? It was uh, Kira on the right, Dawson in the middle, Cress on the left, which Dawson came in off the bench against SCSB the week prior. And then this was Cress's first game back after his injury. So you have two out of your three starting back line coming in off an injury. Doesn't that sort of spell disaster to some degree? I mean, I don't know if Moise was just thinking, well, let me get the minutes. This shouldn't be, <coughs> pardon me. This shouldn't be that difficult of a team. So where do we go? You know, it's, uh, <coughs> This is what I'm going to say to that. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I think you just got to open the whiskey bottle and let's take a pour because we're going to get into some stuff here that I think is going to be uncomfortable for most West Ham United fans. Yeah. Talk so let's go ahead and uh, cheers it up here, Mr. Liam. And here's what I'm going to say. Slancha. 
Ooh, a little rougher than the other ones we've had. A little rougher. Ooh. Oh, I brought some uh, backwater Texas whiskey. Not going to lie. Is it, is it made with backwater? I think is. it's made with mouthwash. But, uh, <laughs> here, here's what I will say. The defense right now, I don't think what I don't think David Moyes knows who his two best center backs are. And we've mentioned on this show that Craig Dawson, probably fifth choice. Maybe that's a reason he's thinking about leaving because he's writing on the wall. Well, if I'm not going to play every week for this team, I might as well get closer to home. Totally understand that. But what I'm really starting to understand is we don't know who our two best center backs are. We don't. Zuma has his moments. Agbana looks like he's not fully recovered from his injury. No, not at all. Um, he doesn't move as well as he wants. And we know most of the time, anytime you have a major knee injury, it's about a two-year recovery. It's a year to get back on and then a year to get back to where you were. And remember, he came off an ankle, ankle injury from the season before. So this is like back-to-back injuries for him. And even like Lanzini, it took him several seasons before we started to see a glimmer of the jewel that we had, you know, early on when he first came over under Slavin Village. Yeah, it, this is uh, the the defense. I think there's some there's some big changes that I have to make. And when I say the word big, what I mean is it's going to be a mentality shift. Corral looks like the real deal. He looks like the leader. Yeah, I I fully expect him to be one of the first names on the team sheet. Probably going forward. Who he's partnered with, I don't know. And we've mentioned in our pre-production meeting, Kara and Dawson didn't look bad together. No, no. You know, and if you've got Kara that's going to make sure everything stays in line, well, then Dawson can kind of play in a free role, which I think is where he does his best work. Um, it's, it's when Dawson has to be relied upon in a, a big moment that he tends to make a thing and if Carras the one that has those big moments he's the last defender doesn't put all that pressure on Dawes which I think makes it a little easier I mean I could be speaking out of my ass here Leon but I do you think we know who our two best center backs are no and I think it's it's tough because we see we see Moyes throw out the back three we see him throw out the back four I think with this match he was trying to do a little bit of a hodgepodge to get more people on the pitch that probably hadn't been together as of yet. Um, and like we said just a little bit ago, getting minutes for Dawes and for, for Cress, but I don't think either one of them looked like out of, out of place in that back line. I think like it looked pretty good. I don't think any of our guys were taking the game all that serious from the get go, which is why Zilkeborg was able to, get a decent uh, stint of possession and get that first goal. I want to say on the first one, it's Lanzini actually that gets pulled all the way out um, on that, on that right-hand side. And he doesn't defend well. The ball comes into the center. Dawes was pulled too far back uh, towards the, uh, towards the keeper. And basically Kush has like a completely open box. And we've seen multiple goals scored against us because we, we do not, allow enough people to track back to kind of cover right around the, you know, between the 18 and the 12 yard uh, line. So I think there, there definitely needs to be a little bit more awareness and a little bit more cohesion to that back line. But a lot of that is going to stem from consistency and playing the same people in those positions. I think one of the reasons we had, were so successful last season was we, we kind of had who was going to be the premier league center back pairing and who was going to be Europa league center back pairing. And then as injuries started 
to go, it ended up that was like, hey, we've got Dawson and Zuma and that's it. So you're going to have to play them twice a week, every week. Whereas for this, I think it would have been better to stay with the back four. You could have played Kara still because there was no game on the weekend. And then you could have thrown Augie on that uh, that left-hand side. Or you could have had Dawson come in and have the minutes. And it could have been Ogbana and Dawson. And then that way you save Zuma and Kara for um, Everton for this weekend. I think that would have been a better stretch. And, and then instead of doubling up and having Cresswell and Emerson on that left-hand side, I just don't think you needed that. And I don't think they had enough chemistry to understand who was going to do what on the left. So I think that's why we struggled a little bit on that side. Sufal knows what he's doing on the right. I don't think we have really a, a much of a problem with what he's supposed to do over on that side. I think him and Kara have a pretty good read of each other already. Um, it was interesting that they decided to do Declan and then Lanzini as the double pivot in the middle. I didn't hate it. I actually thought it, it worked out pretty well other than when Lanzini has is tasked with more defensive uh, uh, duties. I think obviously Declan is, is the better serve for that. And then at the 70th minute when he trades out Declan rice and he brings on Suchek and Suchek just seemed lost. I just don't think he's very culpable for not tracking back and covering on that second goal. Um, I, I do think that for me, I would have preferred Declan get the, get the hook and you bring on um, Flynn downs. I think that would have been the better served. And then if anything, you could have had downs in Suchek on for that double pivot to be able to finish out the game, um, pull off Lanzini or pull off Paqueta. Like you had a multitude of options. I thought it was a little bit odd. I think he was trying to go for that fourth goal to really kind of stretch that lead, which is why he threw on Ben Rama and, and um, uh, Bowen. And then Bowen, obviously he, he loses the ball off that corner kick and that counterattack for that second goal. That's, I mean, that, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it was on Suchek. That was definitely on on Bowen on that second goal. But I get what Moyes was trying to go for, but I don't think he has enough consistency and strength in the back line to be reliant on that. What about for you? What do you think? I I just don't think we know what our best center backing pair is. And I think you just articulated what I can't say as eloquently as you. So for me, when you're trying things out, it's because you don't know. Yeah. If you had, if you knew you'd go. And I think the Aguard injury started this whole process and I'm not, I'm not blaming Garrett for anything. I think Moyes had a plan with Aguard and there was no contingency. Yeah. And then Aguard got hurt and you know, you're thinking Dawson's going to leave. So you're in this awkward position as a manager where you're going, what do I do? Because, uh, you know, we've now seen it, you know, Agbana's not what he was. And hopefully he gets back to it because he was our best center back, but hopefully he gets back to it. You don't know if you're going to have Dawson. A Garrett's out. You know, you bring in this Karak kid that you're not positive what he's going to be. The only reliable one you had in your assessment was Zuma. So you kind of look at the situation and you go, hmm, you know, Harrison Ashby's a kid that you have that can play back there, but probably not his best position. Right. Um, He's shown, you know, some flashes of some greatness. We, I think we were both pretty excited that he's not going because we're, you know, we want to keep those academy guys around, especially those guys that we think can advance and play at the next level. It's just, it's frustrating for West Ham United right now because I think Moyes, 
had a clear plan on how he wanted to attack teams. And I think those targets he had in the Ford uh, areas, he went and got them. Yeah. You know, and I think, and what I loved about it is like, hey, we can't get our first guy. Let's go get this guy. Oh, we can't get that guy. Let's get this guy. He had a clear plan for everybody he was going to bring in. I think he took a little bit for granted. And it's not a knock on Moyes for what he was going to have in the back end. And I think, you know, got a Garrett is like, okay, we're set back there. And then everything started going because when the trainer comes in and tells you, hey, Augie's good to go, to you, Augie's good to go. Yeah. So you're going to play him. Um, when you have an opportunity, you're going to work him in slowly, but we've noticed he's a step behind right now. You know, the Chelsea game, he's right there. Um, and he does, that's a play he makes most of the time and he's not. So that's where you're seeing it. And I think that is why the defense is leaky is because there is no consistency. We haven't found what formation we're most comfortable in because we go to a back four against Nottingham Forest and it runs runs well. We have to run to a back three against Chelsea, and then that turns out very well for us, especially late in the game yeah. when we started turning things around. So I, I, I don't know. Um, you can look at it as a glass half full, glass half empty type situation. The half empty people are going to say, we don't know who our best center back is, i.e. me, and we need to figure it out. Glass half full people are going to be, we got options and we will figure it out because it's just going to take a little time. But I will always push back and say, if you're trying to get in the top four, you ain't got time. No, Especially after no. losing to Forrest and losing to Brighton and getting a point stolen from you at the bridge. So when you really look at that, that's anywhere from five to seven points that have been taken off of West Ham United that we should have. And we don't have those points. So that puts us in a... Uh, precarious situation when you don't know who your best defenders are. I, do you have any closing thoughts? Am I crazy here, Liam? Are you taking crazy pills? Well, no, because if you, if you think at the best, if we had seven points, that puts us at 11 in total, which we would leapfrog Fulham and it would put us in sixth place, which is in my opinion, where we should be. I think we should really not be any lower than sixth at any, at any point in time. And I think for last season, we were sitting Pretty, you know, we were usually in about that fourth, fifth, sixth spot, depending on results, depending on goal differential. And I mean, I don't think last season, I don't think we dropped lower than 10th, like the whole season. So the fact that we're still sitting at the bottom of the table, you know what I mean? Like we're, this is not indicative of the talent on this team. Like this does not make sense. So it's, it's tough because I would extend that. We don't know our best center back pairing. To, I don't think we know our best starting 11 at this point because, and I, I know I'm guilty of this as well, you know, like the, the new shiny car, right? Oh, Skamaka, Skamaka, Skamaka. And he looks great in these conference league games. Hasn't looked great in the Prem. And I understand there's a huge skill disparity between these two leagues, but also, dude, we, we were down one nil against a Romanian side. And then also against this Danish side, like we're leaking goals where we shouldn't be. And the chances that we've had where we should be four and five and six goals above these teams, we're not taking them. We're not finishing these chances. Yes. Kamaka had a brilliant goal. The, the um, on, on, uh, on Thursday, I'm not taking anything away from him, but there, we are a different team when Antonio is up top versus Skamaka. 
And that's not to say that Skamaka shouldn't still come in off the bench or maybe he starts and then you have Antonio coming off the bench and the center backs are already tired and now they have to deal with Antonio for the last 30 to 40 minutes of the match. However that looks, it's a very, it's a, it's a good problem to have, to have that variety, to have that, to be burdened with choice. But I think sometimes Moyes gets almost in his own head about who he's going to put out there and and how how these players are supposed to interact and what are the duties of each of each player like who who is going to drift into the center who is going to stay wide who is going to go in on the overlap who's going to cherry pick and stay right between the center backs there were moments in the game on Thursday where Skamaka dropped all the way back to the 18 to to help defend why why are we having our center forward draw that far back it makes no sense to me. So I think there is this degree of not not everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And and I think, yeah, we, we were bringing in a lot of new players, so there was always going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. And especially, you know, Moyes has said himself that Cornet didn't get the game time in preseason as much as other people did. So he's still kind of working his way back in, but, you know, he has... He's earned two different penalties. He had an assist in the game on Thursday. So I'm not super worried about Cornet. Hit the post and technically scored a goal against Chelsea. So Cornet, I think, is good. Skamaka, I think, is good. It's just getting them the minutes and figuring out who is going to be with who. Whom is going to be with whom. (laughs) On the pitch, who are your starters? Who are your off-the-bench impact subs? And everybody needs to know and understand their role. And I just don't think they do. If Mark Noble was still here, everybody would know what they were supposed to do because they would have that reinforcement, not just from Moyes, but from the club captain. And I don't, I still don't think we have that. So uh, to, for me, that's where the hangup is. What about for you? I, I mean, I, I can't really disagree with what you said. I, I am a glass half empty guy. I, I think it's scary that we don't know what our best back line is and I think you have a good point that maybe we don't know our best 11 but that's what happens when you start to bring in players that are quote-unquote world-class right Mm -hmm. Skamaka plays for Italy Cornet plays for I think is it Trinidad and Tobago no no he is one of the Caribbean nations is it? I thought he was like Ivory Coast. Yeah, he's Ivory no, Coast. My, sorry, yeah. it's African, but it sounds Caribbean. Yeah, to me. right. Coast sorry, Coast God Ivory. dang, what an ignorant ass I am. It happens. Um, yeah, he's Ivory Coast, and then you've also got, you know, you've got Paqueta. a lot of international players. Paqueta, who's Brazil's number ten. No, um, the fact that we have that guy on our team still blows my mind. But it, it's weird, right? Because Cara settled in so quickly. You know what I mean? And Paqueta, I mean he. He has become first choice fairly easily. After he came in off the bench against Spurs, he's pretty right. He's started every match since then. So, and maybe we haven't utilized him the best way possible. Um, If it's me, I think, and you can disagree with me here. I think we need to move away from the double pivot. I, I don't disagree with it. I, Everybody talks about Declan Rice needs to add something to his game by going forward. Well, we know he can, but he's not doing a great job of it this year. If we remove Declan Rice can cover that ground. He's proven it so many times. 
you pull off the double pivot and you put another attacker forward that allows us to get another player. Like, I don't know, Cornet on the pitch Yeah, with those preferred attacking players that we've already mentioned. So I look, there's a lot West Ham United have to figure out. I hope Moyes does it sooner rather than later because I've never shied away from what I'm telling you. I'm never going to be satisfied with West Ham United until we are in the Champions League and we are hoisting the trophy at the end of the Premier League season. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be satisfied. Never going to happen. So that is kind of where I set on it. And because of that, it's because I bought into a promise that our owners have made us. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. So we're going to change, we're going to change gears for a moment because <laughs> we've been talking about all these players we brought in who I think you and I would agree are some of them are world-class talent. Would you yeah. agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. I would, I would say majority of the players we have on the team are world-class talent at this point. There's not really a player that I saw feature on Thursday that I wasn't thrilled to see on the pitch. So because of that, let me ask you this question. There was a promise made to us by the board. I already see your face. If you can't, <laughs> if you guys don't know, his eyes have gotten very, very deep and dark and black, and they are not loving. Black it is like not loving. Um, his black nails have gotten blacker. The mohawk's gotten taller. Hairs are standing up over here. Uh, God, I'm a horrible describer. Uh, I said describer. I'm not good with adjectives. Can you tell? <laughs> um Here's the thing. I was thinking about this. We were promised a world-class stadium, London Stadium, with world-class players. Look at our current state of the roster. Playing world-class football. I don't know if we've achieved that one. Yeah. But we were in the Europa League last year. And we made a pretty deep run. And I don't know if I'd call the Europa League world. I think it's like World B. It's not all day, um, but it's still nonetheless. You're on a European tour. Have have our three dildo owners, and yes, I called them that. Even you, Karen Brady, have our three dildo owners finally fulfilled the promises that were made to the West Ham supporters, even though. It's not all the way done. Have, have they proven enough for you, Liam, to say, yes, they have the best interest of the club now? I'm going to say no. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat so I can really go on my tirade here. No, I mean, for me, it's 12 years on from when they took ownership of the club, right? Um, you've had years and years to be able to deliver on the 10-point plan that you introduced and really it should have been done within the first three, right? Two years to do your rebuild. And by year three should be where you have, you have the players, you have the funds, you have the, 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 the coach, the manager, the, the management team, everything should be in place by that point to be able to, to deliver on those promises, not 12 years on, not 10 years on, not seven years on should have been within those first three years. So Yes, they did eventually get to it, right? But that's like me telling my wife, I'm going to wash the dishes eventually. If I wait even a week, if I waited seven days to wash the dishes, I'd be sleeping outside. 
And like, on behalf of everybody that knows your wife, you better not fuck up. Yeah. Because because trust me, she ain't gonna be on the market long. No, buddy. no, I'm pushing <laughs> way above my weight, right? But I think I think that's that's where we have to look at it, right? As supporters, we deserve better than what we've than what we've gotten. I mean, you have to figure when they came on 2010, we what barely escaped by, escaped, scraped by beating relegation, and then at the end of the 2011 season, we were relegated like that. That to me doesn't scream investment. That doesn't, that doesn't scream a clear 10 point plan. And yeah, they've done certain things that were beneficial. Like they kept ticket prices low for a decent amount of time. But then as soon as we ended up in Europe, all of a sudden the prices start going up, especially for those European matches. And I I don't think that that doesn't do much in terms of building good faith with your with, with your your customer base, right? Because that's what they've treated us as customers, not fans, not supporters. Karen has called us customers, and that's all we are to them. It's a, and I get it; they're a business; they got to make money. You know, good on them, right? But you've also seen that return on investment, where within the last couple of years, after you brought back David Moyes, and David Moyes got rid of some of the rot, he got rid of some of those players from the Pellegrini era that just were not making things happen. They were on high wages and they were not delivering. And now we're bringing in players that, like you said, are world-class. These are the players that should be able to take us to that next level. But we also pulled the trigger too late. Like, yeah, you want to wheel and deal and you want to get players in at a cost-effective plan. Like, why pay $50 million for somebody that you know if you wait a couple of weeks, you can get them at $40 mil? For sure, I get it. I understand that. It's, it's good business sense. But you're also taking more and more time for these players to acclimate, and you do not have a team that is ready to fire on all cylinders day one, minute when, when the season starts, when we're playing fucking Manchester City. Like this, this, there are no easy games at the Premier League anymore. You cannot bide your time. You cannot drag your feet. The teams that do are the ones that suffer. We see that year over year. Maybe, you know, you've got your Watfords and your Fulhams, the yo-yo clubs that come up and go down and come up and go down. That's not West Ham fucking United. We're the team that needs to be challenging for the top six. We should not be in 18th place six games into the start of the fucking season. So no. We have a great stadium that can seat over 60,000 fans. It sounds great when we're watching the matches at Full Circle Brewing and we can hear over the loudspeaker all those fans screaming bubbles in unison. It sounds fantastic, and I would give my left nut because it's the bigger nut and I could use a little bit more room in the pants. I would give that nut (laughs) to be able to fucking go and see this live. So, yes, there are certain elements. There's elements that, that they've delivered on. But it's not fully there until we are in Champions League, until we are competing season over season for the Premier League trophy, until we're winning FA Cups and Carabao Cups and fuck the Europa Conference. We should at least be in Europa League until we're pulling in trophies, until we are challenging for those top spots. They haven't delivered shit in my book, but I'm that's where I'm. The glass is not even half full. It's fucking empty. I think it might be broken. It might be fucking shattered on the floor. But what about for you, man? Where are you thinking? I, all right. This is what uh, I always laugh at. Okay. Anytime any new owner comes in, any new coach comes in, they always make these big promises. They fill you with expectations 
And they, they're literally used car salesmen. Like that's what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to tell you how great they're going to make it. I tend to live in reality. So I, I coach American football here in the United States. I coach high school football. I mean, I've been doing it 12 years. And there's one thing I've learned. You never, ever talk about winning with your players. And the reason you don't is because if you talk about winning, you say, we got to win, we got to win, we got to win. The moment you lose, those kids drop their heads. They don't know how to handle it because you set an expectation they did not meet. And they feel like they let not just you down, they let themselves down. And that's one of the worst things you can do. The owners fucked up when they started coming in saying, we're going to do all this thing. Here's our 10 point plan. Boom, 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 boom. The reality is this. This is what I'm going to say. Okay. You may disagree with me. Is the club in a better state today than it is when they took it over? That's an emphatic yes. The club is in a better state. Is it where you and I want it to be? Absolutely not. And I I just mentioned it. I'm never going to be happy (laughs) until we are in the Champions League or we're hoisting the trophy. Like, it's just, that's, I'm never going to be happy without those things. I'm always going to be dissatisfied. We can finish fifth and everybody go, that's a great season. I'm going to go, well, if we would have, you know, won this game here and that game here, we'd be in the champions league. And that is something I'll have to uh, answer to, to my God, because, you know, I can't ever be satisfied. But at the end of the day, Liam, the club's in a better state. Do I like the move from the Bolin? No, I do not. The Bolin... That will forever be the sacred ground for any West Ham United supporter. And if you go to the Bolin now and there's apartment buildings there and shops and stuff, you can't even, I mean, you don't even really see where it was. And it's sad. That is a sad thing to behold. But West Ham United as a club are in a better state now than they've been since 2010. I'm not happy that we're in 18th, but I think you and I both know, and yes, we are, uh, I don't think we're being like, I don't think we're being ridiculous here, but they're not going to finish in 18th place. No, no. this team is going to be in the top 10. We're hoping that they're in the top six, but they're, they're no worse than eighth. Like they are no worse than the eighth best team of the prem. So, I mean, at this point I'd say we're better than man United and they're in fucking fifth. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this is the thing. Man United found a way to win games they should win, whereas in we lost to Nottingham Forest, and we lost to Brighton, and we had a point taken from us from Chelsea. So you have to, you know, the Premier League sometimes is cruel, and I think Newcastle and us have more of something to bitch about than anybody else because it does feel at times that the Premier League is against us, that they want their consistency, they want their tradition. Whereas in we're an underdog to them. So they don't want to see the underdog rise. I always think of the scene from the hunger games where, you know, president snow played by Donald Sutherland is sitting there talking to the head game maker. And he goes, you know, what's more dangerous than fear. And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, hope. And you don't ever want to give hope to a club like West Ham United. Well, the prim fucked up when Lester won. Yeah. Cause now we all have hope. 
And so it does feel that way. And until proven otherwise, football is such a corrupt sport. I'll never forget the uh, cartoon I saw of a couple of Italian gangsters going, you know, counting their money. And one looks at the other and goes, one day I'm going to get into soccer and make some real money. <laughs> yes, that's what the that's what the comic said. And it probably was football where it was posted other places. But it, it is, a you know, it's the corruption has been exposed so many times. The Premier League's been exposed. And I'm sure there's corruption right now. And, you know, we talked about the refs, but I do believe that these owners have done some good things for the club. I don't think they've done it the way we wanted to see it. And I think it took a hell of a lot longer than it should have. You're right. I'm going to give them more than three years. I think they took over a club that was in shambles, didn't have a lot of talent. Players wanted out. So I think it was inevitable we were going down the next season. So I would say after five years, the club should have been in a better spot. Um, and, but, but that's where we were, right? Because in five years, Billich had taken over and we finished in seventh. We were yeah, in but, a good spot. But again, they were bringing in mercenaries. A lot. This is what I've had to realize, and it hurts me because I love Slav. I love Super Slav. But Super Slav was a flawed manager, and he had a player named Dimitri Pyatt that covered up a lot of his flaws because Pyatt goes out there, he can control the ball, he can take it from deep, he can create his own space, and he can score goals, and he can set up other guys to score goals. He's, you know, he's a five-tool player, if you will. Yeah. Um, we were bad defensively most of the year. We got exposed when Pyatt got hurt. We didn't win a single game when Pyatt was out that year. Yeah. I think people forget that stretch of like six games. We drew one and lost five. I mean, that's that's bad. Yeah. And then Pyatt comes back in, and then we start playing well again. That proves to me, like, good managers can win with any players, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Say what we want to say about Pep, but he trades that team out all the time and he's getting in Holland looks better than he's ever looked. And he was already really good. That's what a manager does. He's supposed to take a good player, make them great and take a great player and make them a legend. Yeah. And that's, that's what he's doing as much as I hate pep. And that's what Moyes has done for us. He's taken guys and turned them their seasons around even by moving them around. So I, I just, I, I don't give the board a straight up pass, but I kind of quiet down my criticisms because when I think of where we were when they took over and to what we are now, and I know that it's so easy to do that, Liam, and I understand. Yeah, yeah. It's easy because when you're a supporter, you hold like you're a man of your word. If you tell me you're going to do something, I know you're going to do it. So it's, it's realistic for you to think if somebody says, hey, this is what we're going to do. You're going to hold them to that. And I totally get that sentiment. I just don't think that is a reality. I th what they promised, I don't think is a reality. No, I don't think it is because I think anybody that takes over any new coach, they start talking about, we're going to do this. We're going to do that, you know, and we're going to touch monkeys and eat their bananas and it's going to be great. And everybody's like, yeah, monkeys, bananas, let's do this. Yeah. Right. But what ends up happening is it's kind of like what I've always said about being the president of the United States. It's easy to run to be the president and win that election. But when you get in the White House and you wake up every day and you walk out of your room before you've had your morning coffee, before you've even showered or been dressed, there's a guy in a suit that goes, hey, while you were sleeping, here's all the shit that happened. Yeah. So you start off your day every day going, fuck. When you take over a London-based football club with the best fans in the world that will never not have the expectation to be great, which was what West Ham United fans are, you wake up every day going, we can't make these people happy. 
and it starts to change your path. I'm not saying that's right, but I guarantee you that's what's happened here. But right now where this club is and what they've done, and I think the moment at that Burnley game where the fan ran out on the field and that iconic image of him taking the corner flag and planting in the middle, yeah, that was a reminder to everybody involved on the board and our three dildo owners. You don't own this club. You are just the custodian of the club right now. We own the club. And I think ever since that moment, the club has been on a steady rise. It's sad that it had to get to that point, but that's what I really believe. I think that these owners have figured out how to get what they need from the club and um, satisfy the fan base. And now it's in this nice, you know, there's synergy happening. Yeah. And that's what I see. I don't think that they're going to be our owners for much longer. I agree with you. I think once the value of the club gets to a certain point, they're going to sell and they're going to get out because, you know, our Russian wannabe owner just married a 25 year old. And I'm sure he wants to see her naked as often as possible before he dies. Yeah. But I think for, for him, it's like a status symbol to be like, Oh, I own a football club, you know? So, or for that Welsh fucker, he's like, Oh, only football club. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Liam, those are the greatest impressions you do. Thank you. But like, whose shoes are that? Whose shoes are those trainers? Whose coat is that jacket? Um, but that's, that I think is the problem with, like you said, to, with West Ham fans, like, yeah, we're, we're never happy, but I think that's not just us. I think that's fans in general. Right. Like you could have, I mean, look at, look at Chelsea, right? Like they, they have a rough start to the season, maybe not as rough as ours, but they have a rough start to the season and fucking Tuchel gets deep sixed. You know what I mean? The, the credit I will give, and it pains me to give them any credit is the fact that they are standing by Moyes. You know what I mean? I think in that first season when he came back, they kept kind of priming him to take the fall if things went wrong. And then when things didn't and we did survive relegation, then they were like, okay, oh shit. All right. Yeah. Maybe we do actually have to try to play nice. And that first season, but when Moise was fully in charge, there was still a little bit of this battle last season. I, I, you could feel them start to relinquish. There was less and less of the board in the news. There was less and less instances where Sullivan was talking to Simon Jordan over on tour talk sport. You know what I mean? They were kind of just letting Moyes do the talking and they continued to fade more and more in the background. Karen Brady wasn't doing her articles as much for the sun or the independent or the mirror, wherever she was fucking sending articles in. And you started to see this kind of this uh, redistribution of power. Like I think Krasinski comes in and basically told them to shut the fuck up. and was like, you're an owner, but you're not the mouthpiece. So you need to fade in the background. Let David Moyes be the mouthpiece, let him be the the face of the club, him and Declan Rice, and we'll continue on from there. And I think that's where we've had success when it comes to the press. There's not as much leaks happening as there used to be. We There used to be leaks left and right. You know, ex-WHU employee used to have all this stuff to talk about, and I don't feel like it's as much anywhere near as what it used to be because Moyes put a kibosh on that, and he kept it where it is, a lot more controlled, a lot more... Uh, confined to what it used to be. But I mean, us as fans, man, it's like a dog, right? You keep hitting, hitting the dog, hitting the dog, hitting the dog. And then you're fucking surprised when it bites you. And that's what it was. That was that Burnley match. They kept hitting the dog and then the dog bit back and they go, Oh fuck. Well, we can't put the dog down. So I guess we've got to figure something else out. And I think that was the pivot to what we see now. 
I think it only is scary if the type of dog that bites you. And I think they realize what what type of dog would West Ham United be? I think we'd be a stray pit bull terrier mix because we're kind of loud. Yeah, we're also very dangerous. Well, my dog Bella, we're fucking. They're that dog through and through. She thinks she's bigger than she is. Her bark's louder than her bite. Or worse than her bite, but she's still hefty. She'll still let you know she's here. Can we not be a dog named Bella? Can we at least be a dog named Brutus? <laughs> well, if she was a male dog, you could name her fucking <laughs> Brutus. That's fine. Oh, she got man. no dick, bro. She's a girl dog. <laughs> oh, do oh, mm-hmm. oh, Moving on. <laughs> All right. So, uh, obviously, um, spirit of discussion there. Uh, we're going to get into our match preview right now. Is that, is that okay, Liam? Or I mean, good? I guess. God dang. Obviously, the Premier League is back in action, and West Ham United start playing tomorrow. They have to travel to Merseyside, but they're going to go to the blue half of Merseyside as they go to take on Everton. David Moyes' former stomping ground where he had so much success and had that team consistently in the top five, not the top six, consistently in the top five, even in the Champions League at times. So West Ham United on their trek to Merseyside. What do you believe the starting 11 will be for West Ham United this Sunday at 6 a.m.? I mean, I'm, I don't think you change much in the back four. Like, it's going to be Fabianski. It's going to be Sufal, Kara. I'm bringing back Zuma to partner with him. And then you're going to put uh, Emerson over there on the left-hand side. Moyes is going to stick with the double pivot. It's going to be Declan and, and Suchek in the middle. Um, your front four at that point, it's going to be um, uh, Fornells over on the left-hand side, Paqueta in the center, Bowen on the right, Antonio up top. Okay. God dang. I, uh, I think he's going to start Skamaka. I think you're crazy. I think I am crazy. Skamaka played all 90 minutes. I think he's going to start Skamaka. You're crazy. I am. I know I'm wrong. I want it to happen. You know, I'm kind of like the Tony Robbins thing. If I believe it, it will happen. You're going to manifest Yeah, I'm going to manifest this right now. Okay, but at that point, if you start Skamaka, how early do you bring in Antonio? I bring him in in the 65th minute. I thought you were going to say like the third minute. Oh, wow. (laughs) I knew you hated me. No, I don't. No, no. No, I think 60 I agree with everything you said, except the front. I think he's going to play Skamaka up front. We've been wanting to see Antonio and him out there. I don't think it will. I think Ben Aramo will get a start. I think Bowen's his surefire on the right. Maquette is in behind. That, that's what I think it's going to be. Now, do you think that they that he continues to play Bowen for the Prem? Like, Bowen got the call-up for the national squad for these these next couple games. Do you think he does that because he wants to allow Bowen to get the minutes, to get the face time, to be able to stay within Gareth Southgate's chosen few? No, I think David Moyes firmly believes that that I think Bowen is the thing he's most proud of. It's a player that you bought from the championship that – you got to work hard, and then he had the season he had last year, and I think that's his boy. I think he's loyal to him. Yeah, David Moyes is a loyal guy. Yeah, you know, like he he, he can't argue his loyalty. He's never will willfully leave, left a club except for Everton. So he left Goodison to go to fucking Old Trafford, and yeah. you can't at that time you couldn't have faulted anybody to be to be you know the king in waiting, if you will. David Moyes to take over for, you know, probably the greatest premier league manager of all time. And Sir Alex Ferguson, you can't, you can't fault him. So I, I, 
I think Bowen is the uh, every. I think it, Bowen's the third or fourth name on the team sheet for David Moyes. You think Declan Rice? Well, Declan Rice is one. Well, no, De- like your top three. If you're going top three names on the sheet. Oh, I think it's clearly. I think I think it's Declan Rice. I think it's Fabianski, and I think it's uh, Bowen. I would actually agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I think those. I think those are the people he counts on, and I think there was a time last year that he really considered dropping Fabianski for Ariola, and then Fabianski was saved seven out of nine penalties. Yeah, I know that that stat needs to be more prevalent. Yeah, because that is penalties are almost. I mean, I bet I bet if you did the Premier League average, I bet it's an 90 percent make. Yeah. And then you have a goalkeeper saving seven out of nine. That's nuts. Like that's, that's insane. Rate. Yeah. Um, he doesn't get enough credit for that. So I think he's solidified himself as long as he's healthy and playing well, he will be the number one goalkeeper for West Ham United. But I, I think he's going to start Skamaka. And I think the two subs coming in, they're going to be the super subs are Cornet and, and Antonio. Yeah. And I, I think for days are limited. I really do. I think I, it's, it's to a point now with West Ham United where Pablo Fornals, I don't see where he fits in unless you remove the double pivot. Yes. That's the only way I see him staying on the pitch. And and like I said, I kind of feel like at this point we should, right? Because I feel, you know, even though Suchek has had really good numbers from a stats standpoint, he doesn't pass the eye test. When you're watching the match, you're not going like, yeah, Suchek's really helping dominate that, pardon me, dominate that midfield. And really, if you had Declan Rice in a midfield three, right? If we go to a 4-3-3 and it's Declan in the center as a defensive midfielder and you have like Paqueta and Lanzini ahead of him, that's pretty dope, especially because you know Lanzini will drop back when need be and it can be kind of back to that double pivot too. And then Paqueta, you know, uh, as more of that playmaker number 10. I like that. I like that. I, my only concern is like, does Paqueta and Lanzini offer too much of the same? In which case, Fornals could fit in that because he does the defensive work. He'll run for you all day, every day, and it allows you then to have whether it's going to be Cornet on the left and Bowen on the right, or Ben Ben Rama on the left, or um, Cornet on the right, or however you want to kind of sequence that. You know, it's more of that embarrassment of riches. I think we we we. We talked about it earlier it, where you don't have a discernible starting 11, but I think that's the only reason that is beneficial is because now other teams have a harder time preparing for what's going to be run out on that pitch on game day. I mean, this is why I'm glad we got the tactician in you here. I, I, I agree with everything he said. I, I just want to see Skamaka. I know like, I, I think he's the guy. Like, I love Antonio, but Antonio's not a natural striker. I've said that for years. Everybody knows it. He's now recognized as a striker, but the, but he's really not. It's, we have a surefire striker. And that moment from Cornet, now granted, I understand it's against Sokolakovic, but whatever the fuck they're called. Um, <laughs> I know that that's against them, and they're not a Premier League side. But that is exactly what you're supposed to do if you're a striker. Ball comes into your feet. Turn, put it in the net. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. Um, so with that said, obviously heading to Goodison Park, West Ham of late, last couple of years have had very good fortune in this place. We would love to keep this going. Um, I think even back to the Pellegrini, I mean, 
I always have fond memories because Yarmolenko, I always love Yarmo. Uh, Yarmo's first ever game at Goodison Park under Pellegrini had a brace. Had yeah. One hell of a brace, too. Had a beautiful curler off his left foot. Had a nice little tap in later. So let me go ahead and ask this question. Uh, no, obviously, Yarmo can't come, you know, score goals for us anymore because uh, I think he's playing in Dubai now. Um, who is going to be your goal scorer for this match? Or what, what timeout, what's your final? Yeah. And who are your goal scorers? Um, I think we're still leaky in defense. I think we give up a goal. Um, I'm going to win us 2-1. I think it's going to be pretty cagey, pretty close. I don't think it's going to be like the 3-0, 4-1 wins that we've seen in the past. Um, oh, no, well, those would have been over Leicester and Wolves. I think with Everton, <laughs> we always kind of have like a little bit of a, a cage match to some degree. So I'm going to say 2-1. Uh, I think the, the goal scorers are probably going to be Hmm. I'm going to say Antonio and I'm going to say Paqueta. I think it's going to come from the center of the, of the, of the pitch. Uh, and I think this is going to be, this is going to be a, we, we score first Everton equalizes. And then we score once the subs come in, I think the subs make an impact. And I think that's where we get the second goal. Um, otherwise it's going to be all us in the first half when two nil and then Everton scores a, a late, one goal at about the 88th minute. And then we're sitting on pens and needles because they give us like seven minutes of added time. And we're just like, Oh my God, they're trying to give them the equalizer. <laughs> uh, I got a three, uh, one finish. Nice. I think West Ham United take this one three, one. I think we fall down early within the first 15 minutes. I think we go down one. Oh, I think Frank Lampard's going to be feeling really good about himself. Of course he will. You know, fat Frank will be walking around on that sideline. I'll, I'll peacock Jesson Moyes will get up there and he'll do that little scowl. And the silver Fox is going to come out. And the next thing, you know, West Ham are going to do what they do. They're going to come back. They're going to fight and they're going to score an ugly goal. And that ugly goal is probably going to come off the foot of Ben Rama off the back of another player into the net. That's my first one. Uh, then my next one's going to be to Skamaka on um, probably a set-piece header because I think he's very dangerous in the air. Yes. And then Brazil's number 10 is going to put the match away by opening his West Ham account in the 77th minute of this match. And uh, up until that point, you know, Everton's going to settle back in. They're going for the equalizer. West Ham are going to get on the counter. Paquette is going to get a, a drawback pass. It's going to slot it into the lower left. I mean, I've got it all visualized. Nice. nice. Slide to that lower left. It's going to be a 3-1 finish. West Ham United take this game, and we start doing what we're supposed to do, beating the teams we should beat, whether it's home or away. Everton's a game we should win. Um, so with that said, who's your man of the match? Uh, with this one, I'm going to say Paquetta. I think he pulls the strings on this one. Um, hopefully the minutes that he's gotten, the chemistry that he started to build with the rest of the players, I think you start to see, uh, we start to see the fruits of the labor at this point. So uh, I'm going to go Paquetta, especially if he scores a goal in the fashion that you've, uh, I, that you've I, just recently described. It's, it's brilliant. Being somebody that said he's not a very good descriptor, I'd say that that was quite eloquent. I've been thinking about it. I've uh, been dreaming about it as well. I, you know, when your girlfriend gets wet and the ball hits the net, that's Skamaka. <laughs> I had a whole song together for that. Too. I know. We got to learn that one. Yeah. Um, I think man of the match is going to be, let's say Karah. I think Kara is going to dominate this game. I think he's going to make it hell on uh, the uh, the attacking force for uh, Everton. 
And I think uh, Kara is going to plant a big German flag in the middle of Goodison Park and say, this is my land. And uh, I really, I really like what I've seen out of this guy. I understand that it's easy to point at a couple of moments and blame him for some things and own goal conceded a penalty, but I would argue put the best defender in the league there. They probably make the same mistake. And he never kept his head down. You know what I mean? Like those things happened and then he had an amazing game the rest of the match. So you can't, you, you look at that and you go, most other players give up. He did not. I give him kudos for that. And just for those that may not know, Everton is winless so far. So they have four draws. They have not won a game yet this season. They have only drawn. Now you jinxed it. Liam. No, I'm telling you. Why would you say that? I'm telling you, this this has a West Ham win written all the fuck over it. Well, we need it. We need points. Well, that brings us to everybody's favorite part of the show. It's time for our yellow and red cards as we close out episode number seven um, of the Bearded Bastards Radio here on American Hammers Network. Um, so hit me with it, Liam. Who? is getting your yellow card. So Chelsea's Todd Bowley. Uh, he came on recently with a suggestion that there should be a North South Premier League all-star match. And I got to say, man, like I get it. You're an American owner and I, I appreciate, which is why this is only a yellow card. I appreciate you trying to offer up suggestions, but this is a dumb shit suggestion. This is not America. These are not American sports. These are not American. Although there, we are American supporters, a vast majority of the supporters of the Premier League are not Americans. We don't need to see an all-star match. That is just a money grab, and the Premier League is already an incredibly profitable league. And when you really think about the minutia of this, you're creating an additional game for the best players, which means you're pulling the best players like Jared Bowen, like Declan Rice, probably like uh, Lucas Paqueta, we don't need those players to play another fucking game. We need them to concentrate on the Premier League, on the domestic cups, and on Europa Conference. Not some bullshit, no, like, makes no difference, adds nothing to the fucking season, all-star, all-star, stare, all-star match, because you're a fucking weirdo. Like, <laughs> leave your dumb shit American ideas in America and let the Premier League be the Premier League. That is a great yellow card. Thank you. However, it should have been, I mean, if you mix yellow and red together, you get what, like a soft pink? Like an orange. Yeah, you should get like a, it should, oh, it's orange. Yeah, my God, I primary colors, yeah, Kyle, you're, primary you're, colors. You're a teacher. It's, God dang. It's scary. This is the um, American education system It should have been an orange work. card because the stupidity of that suggestion, and let me make this, we are Americans doing this show talking about an English team, and we love West Ham United. We neither one of us watch the goddamn Pro Bowl. That's Never. our best. That's our best league. Nobody here watches the baseball All Star Game or the. You might watch the Home Run Derby because you know chicks dig the long ball. But <laughs> the MLS All Star Game is always a fucking joke. Yeah, it's stupid. I mean, like it. I that make that makes me go like this. How the fuck did you make enough money to buy Chelsea? Yeah. Like you obviously are an idiot. Like you, he had to have been silver spoon, baby. There was, there was no competition. Yeah. That's why silver spoon, baby, silver spoon, baby. Yeah. He got, he got his money from mommy and daddy. Let's be honest. Yeah. Dad was a badass. Mom was a badass. He little bitch. All right. I mean, you, you chose to buy Chelsea. You own that. You're a little bitch. He's a bitch. 
On a pitch. On a pitch. <laughs> uh, my yellow card's going to go to me. Uh, I'm going to make this real short and sweet. Uh, we were supposed to record this show on a Wednesday. It is now a Saturday. We're finally getting showed. I didn't manage my time very well. It's my fault. Uh, Thursday night, I tried to make it happen, but my Kansas City Chiefs played, and I started drinking. So that's on me. It happens. Yeah, that's 100% on me. But we got it done on this Saturday afternoon. So that's mine. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the red cards. Um, my red card's going to go to you, West Ham United fans. And let me tell you why. It is, it like, calm the fuck down. Okay? Like, look, I understand that this club is not perfect, but we just won two games in a row. Maybe they weren't perfect, but they're both wins. And when you get into habits and you start building habits, that's a good thing. So stop nitpicking the games on the little shit that went wrong and understand to be satisfied just because your wife doesn't have D tits and she's got C's. Those are still pretty goddamn big, sir. So relax. Okay, just because your dick is nine inches and you will rush it was 10, nine inches can still do some damage, bro. Relax. <laughs> All right. And this is what I feel like sometimes as a West Ham United fan. It's never good enough. And I want us to everybody to understand. Leon, let me ask you a question. You played the sport. How many times does the game plan work perfectly on a pitch? Well, I mean, to paraphrase Mike Tyson, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the face. And then everything goes out the window. You have to constantly adapt and reevaluate and understand that, you know, players are going to have an off day. You're going to have, um, you know, uh, clubs that their entire game plan is just to stifle your game plan. That's, that's, that's the beauty of football is anybody can beat anybody on any given day, but you have to go out there with the mentality of doing your best. Like you said, you can't always go out and win every match. It's improbable but you can go out there and play your fucking socks off every single time you, you don the, the claret and blue. Can said say it better. Couldn't have said it better. Hit me with your red, Liam. So I surprised you with this one. I'm changing my red card. Oh shit. Yeah. Fucking plastic pitches. Why in this day and age, are we still playing on fucking plastic? You shouldn't be made of rubber. Shouldn't be made of plastic. If your fucking stadium is in an area where you can't cover the top of it, then fucking get a new stadium. Fucking figure it out. Why are you investing money in chopped up tires and fucking plastic bottles as part of your pitch? And on top of that, if you don't have the facilities, like if you're going to do VAR, it needs to be at every stadium. If you're going to utilize it in every fucking uh, in one stadium, in a competition, everybody that's going to participate in that competition has to have the same technology. Uh, and if you're not going to use VAR, I fucking would love that, but then fucking do away with it because if ne- if everybody doesn't have it, then nobody should have it. Because the problems that we run into time and time again, and we've noticed this, right, with these Paramount Plus fucking terrible, shaky, freezing terrible streams. We see this week in week out where it's shit pitches. It's shit coverage. I'm tired of it. Just figure it the fuck out. And if you can't, if you can't play ball, go home and the end of story. If you can't meet the fucking minimums of being a professional fucking football team, you don't get to be one. Fuck off. I can solve this problem for you. Liam. You ready? Sure. Just make the goddamn champions league. Yeah, yeah. Then, then we ain't going to do it. Farmers so, and fucking so in, cow pastures. So just in theory, your red card really goes to West Ham United. I mean, it kind of does. Let's be honest. It kind of <laughs> does. How do you fucking finish in seventh? What were you fucking thinking? 
We lost our way in the seventh. Fucking Brighton. <laughs> Goddamn Brighton. Well, that brings us to the end of episode seven. I want to say thank you to all 22 of you who listened to this show. We do appreciate that. Hopefully, uh, if you ever want to get involved in the show, which we would absolutely love to hear, you can tweet us at at A-H-R-W-H-U. Love to hear from what you have to say. Tell us how much we suck. Tell us that you can do us better and fuck. We'll just bring you right along with us and you can suck right there with us. It's like a Titanic. You just watch the whole sinking ship go We're going to hit that iceberg, bro. I'm telling you. And there ain't no fog. So uh, with that said, um, obviously, if you want to get in touch with Liam or myself, you can hit us up at at Fresno Irons on any social media platform from Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Tim and Lee of the American Hammers Network for providing us this platform. Again, we are the Bearded Bastards here on American Hammers Radio. I want to say thank you again to Liam for joining me today on this lovely Saturday afternoon, cutting out some time from fam time to do That's some fine. West Ham talk and uh you know if you're listening and you find yourself in fresno california on sunday september 18th and it's 6 a.m and you're like oh shit west ham united playing come on down to full circle brewing company and watch with the loudest group in fresno part of the 559 fc family and remember your first beer is on us so we had another great show join us again next week for episode eight and as always come, come on, on you irons, irons.